Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Checker flags are out and you name it and you face will adorn the Borg Warner Trophy as Kenny Breck wins the 83rd Indianapolis 500 mile race. And who will be there to greet him? Four-time Indianapolis 500 winner, A.J. Foyt. So we're less than six months away from the Indy 500, the 108th coming up on May 26th, and it was 27 degrees today, so we want to remind people that that's still on the uh, horizon. We'll continue to discuss some of the possibilities of the few remaining seats. James Hinchcliffe will be on the show tonight to discuss his new sports car ride, uh, another venture we have coming up, and if he's an option for next year's 500 as well. NASCAR's new media deal might be announced this week, and we'll be interested to the reaction to it if, as expected, it includes... Cup races being streamed, stream only, no live television. How's that going to go over? And we have an in-studio guest tonight. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us uh, from our downtown Indianapolis studios with a perfect view of the world's largest Christmas tree. Elijah Robertson is our in-studio producer. Kurt Cavan will join us in a little bit. I'm Kevin Lee, and I have the driver of the number eight, American Legion, Chip Ganassi Racing Honda, Linus Lundquist is here, and this is new news. We have a car number, and we have a primary sponsor for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, great to to have that introduction. Like I said, obviously, just being announced yesterday that American Legion is, um, I'll be representing them for, for next year. So extremely excited. So it was already a, a great opportunity when you get to go to the team that has performed um on a long-term basis, better than anyone else for the last few years. That's great. But then you get the car that has finished first and second. It may not be the actual car, but you get what I'm saying. It's sort of the program um, to, to be able to step in somewhat to Marcus Erickson's seat. That obviously shows that they have some confidence in you. Yeah, I'd like to believe so, at least. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's been a a crazy ride, you know, just looking back, well, a couple of weeks, but a couple of months now, you know, where I was at the beginning of this year or even at the middle of this year going into August, I basically had nothing on the sideline watching everybody else race. And, you know, the dream was to be in IndyCar full time, but, you know, I didn't even dare to dream to uh, have the ability to race for Chip Ganassi Racing in my first year full time. So to be sitting here, you know, with everything confirmed now with with the sponsor as well, it's you know I'm still pinching myself and making sure it's real. Did you have any sense before you did the three races with Meyer Shank Racing, or even before you did any of them, that there was any interest? Had there been any conversations with Mike Hall or anyone at Chip Ganassi Racing about a chance? down the road yeah uh, 
I mean, I've been uh, hassling poor Mike for uh, <laughs> for years <laughs> into uh, into getting me an opportunity and um, you know just getting a, a chance to to look at doing something together. And we we actually sat down and had some conversations during you know this last winter about possibly uh, doing something together, but it never really came together. Um, but you know, I I stayed in touch and made sure that if there was an opportunity, um, that he would you know think of me the first the first pers- person that he would think of, as I did with any team up and down the pit lane. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I tried to keep myself kept myself busy throughout the years with you know the test with Ray Hall at Texas, and then I did the test with with Carpenter. Um, and then obviously the call came up from from Michael Shank to to do the race. Well, Mike is a, a fantastic person to stay in touch with because he cares about young drivers. Even if he didn't ever think there was going to be a chance for you to drive with Chip Ganassi, or at least in the next year or two, I know Mike. He would at least give you advice, even if it wasn't for his team. He would say, "This is what I think you should be doing." Um, so with that. You probably you'd probably heard that, so you don't know if he's just being nice or if he really is interested in hiring you at some point. Yeah, no, um, and it's funny you say that because I approach a lot of these team principals with that kind of manner, in the sense that okay, I'm I know that you might not be able to give me a seat here and now, but. I want your advice. What do you yeah. think I should do? Uh, and obviously, you start building a relationship that way as well and, and, and some kind of trust. Um, but obviously, my end goal was basically, hey, give me a seat. Yeah. Um, and and ended up being that way. But like you mentioned, it is a little bit tricky sometimes to know if they're kind of just being nice to you and saying that, hey, we want to help you, or if there's a serious thought going into it saying that, hey, you know, there's a way forward that we can do here. But I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm extremely fortunate, firstly, for the opportunity to even have raced those races that I did with Shank, mm-hmm. and I will be forever grateful for that opportunity. But at the same time, I was lucky that the timing of it all was right, because if that happened at the beginning of the year or even later, not sure if that would have tied in with, you know, the whole timing of, you know, Marcus Erickson, you know, start talking with Andretti yep. and some other seats opening up as well. So, um, you know, in a sense, I was lucky that it happened when it did. But I also felt that I had my fair of uh, misfortune <laughs> that year leading up to it. So, yeah, we, we well, took it. And, and you went from begging for any opportunity to begin the year to I think you had options, uh, what was that like going from nothing to, ooh, this option is really pretty good and I would have jumped on that two months ago and I'm waiting against this option and I suspect there was probably even a third. Yeah, no, that that situation to me was absolutely crazy because it went literally what you're saying. You know, I was begging on my knees to these teams, you know, get me in just for a test, um, to doing one race, which was a very late call-up. You know, it was like five or six days before the race where I actually got the nod saying that, hey, you're in. So limited time to preparation. Um, So that whole, you know, days leading up to the race were crazy. The race itself was absolutely insane. And from years, you know, calling these team principals and basically hassling them for, for the last few years, to them calling me after the race, which basically never happened. <laughs> um, and I have a fun story because I was actually traveling them with one of my best friends, James Rowe, who's an uh, Indian X driver. Um, and we drove together to, to the Nashville race. So I was driving back, you know, almost a little bit sad and depressed because I just crashed out of the race. Um, 
and then you know the the phone starts ringing and there are these teams that I've been calling for for years and years and now they're returning my calls saying that hey you did a good job kind of asking what the plans and what the future looks like for me so that's kind of when I when I realized that okay I've done myself a huge favor here even though we crashed at the end it was a it was a good way that was one of my questions when did it start so that tells us right after that first race where you really did impress people all weekend i know in the wall is not way the way you wanted to end but you you came and you showed what you were capable of so that's what got the ball rolling yeah it definitely yeah. was and well i'd say i kept the ball uh rolling you know hopefully with the championship that we won and obviously we proved that we're fast yeah and i just tried to keep the ball in play and juggle it the best i could you know being um being on the bench um but I think that Nashville weekend kind of showed everybody that, all right, the kid's actually pretty fast in, in a big car as well. But I also know how this business works. We all know that. You're basically only as good as your last race. Uh, and then when I got the nod to do Indianapolis as well, I kind of said both to me and um, the management that I'm working with is that, okay, because there were back-to-back -back races, and I realized, all right, I'm going to put 110% focus now on Indy because I know that if I show up and I'm slow there, Basically, what we've done at Nashville is nobody's really going to remember it. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to do my best. And most importantly, I'm going to finish the race. Because obviously, I shunted in Nashville. And sure, I was fast, but I made a mistake. So I was actually really happy and proud of the weekend that we put together at Indy. Um, you know, we qualified 14th and finished the race 12th, which I think was the best result that that card's had all year. So, yeah. you know, things like that. After that weekend, I was really proud of it. And that's when I actually sat down and said, okay what are my options here? Uh, because like you said, it was the first time ever really in my career that I've actually had options. Um, but yeah, there was definitely one that, that stuck out to me. Linus Lundquist is joining us with Chip Ganassi Racing. He will debut in the number eight American Legion car starting in 2024. Did three races for Meyer Shank. Uh, this year is a fill-in. He is the last Indy Lights champion, the 2022 Indy Lights champ. You won maybe five races that year, three the year before. Yeah. I think eight total races in the two years dominated the Formula Regional Americas Championship, winning 15 of 17, and I think Malukas won the other two yeah, uh, the year before right. that. And that was a scholarship, and that's the only year that that series produced pretty close to a full scholarship to get to Indy Lights without that Formula Regional Championship. Where would you be? Would you have gone back home? Did you need that championship to continue racing in America yeah. and that scholarship? Yeah, 100%. Without that, I'm probably working at McDonald's back home or something. <laughs> like, you laugh, but, it, but it's probably true because I uh, even going here to America, because I grew up in, in Europe, I'm from Sweden, and raced over there and um, won the British F3 championship and wanted to go progress on the F1 ladder system. Yep. Um, but basically ran out of money, had nowhere to go. Uh, went over to Japan, did a couple of test days over there. And then I got in touch with, with a team here in the US that was gonna do the Formula Regional Championship. And that's just when it got announced that HPD got the scholarship to promote the winner to, to Indy Lights. Um, so I you know, kind of jumped on that train and I was fortunate enough to, um, to have the support of that team because I didn't have full funding. So they said, okay, well, we'll basically start off the season and then see how you get on. And then we did the first half and then we won the first eight races. And they said, well, we're not going to put you out of the seat. Yep. Um, and then um, with the help of you know, some sponsors back home in Sweden, we were able to, um, well, to continue out the year and we won the championship. And that what made it possible 
for me to take the step towards Indie Lights. And you've told me the story before, and maybe I shared it on one of the Indie Lights telecasts or in this show, but it's been a while, of running with a family team back in what essentially was like F-1600, but maybe <laughs> yeah. a little higher level. And you had, what, uh, your dad and your uncle, and it was true grassroots, <laughs> let's take advantage of every money-saving opportunity we have. And I think it's remarkable. I think it's a really cool story. Yeah, no, and it's um, it's funny looking back at it, especially now. Then you know I can finally say that we made it. Um, but those were that year. Actually, we ran it two years and we won the cha- championship the second year. That's still one of my fondest memories that I have in racing, just because. And everybody that's done a similar um, story knows this. There's pros and cons of working with your family, uh-huh. especially working as a race team. Um, but yeah, we we. The choice that we had was basically, you know, continuing karting, or we wanted to take the step towards single seaters. Um, we didn't really have the money to go with like a professional team, so we said, okay, well, you know, we we got to borrow the car from from somebody, and then we basically put together our team ourselves. So yeah, my stepdad was was my mechanic, his brother uh, was my race engineer, who'd never been a race engineer. Nobody's done this professionally ever. They weren't in motorsport, right? No, no, not at all. <laughs> and then my stepdad got one of his coworkers from like from work. He was just like, hey, come and come on and help us on this. And this was all done. Like my dad and my mom, they had full time jobs. I was still in school, so this was weekends and long nights uh, that we traveled. The, the country and all over Scandinavia uh, and raced and um, yeah the first year we finished I think third or fourth in the championship and then the second year we won it um, and yeah we, we definitely had our ups and downs throughout the years but um, yeah to be able to win that championship together with your family is um, yeah it was special Formula Renault 1.6 mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah that's correct yeah. yeah it had like a sequential gearbox so you had to heel and toe and all that good yeah. stuff so yeah pretty old school does that prepare you maybe as well as anything of, of driving those types of cars yeah for some uh, different things yeah prepare me driving wise but i think more so mentally mm. uh <laughs> like working with a family team but as well like i said like this was all done like outside regular hours they all had full-time jobs i was still in school so everything was was done as efficiently as possible and with very very limited um just limited of everything basically um you know money time travel track time whatever it could be so it prepared you to really make the most out of your opportunities and looking back that's a lot of maybe my career how it's been it's you can probably look at it it's not a straight path to to where i am right now yeah um you know we've we've had to take some excursions to to get to where we are but in a funny way i think it almost prepared me for the one opportunity that i got in nashville uh because I knew going into that weekend as well that, you know, if I perform here, then I've done myself a huge favor. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I don't, that's it. You know, you're lucky if you get one shot at this. Um, so, uh, and yeah, it's funny now looking back at it because throughout my career, it's been, you know, budget's always kind of been an issue. But if you're fighting for a championship, teams, they're usually a little bit kinder when it comes to, you know, time payment and making sure that you got, you know, full budget all the way. So, yeah. That's always kind of been the the saving path for me is that we've always been fighting for the championship, if not winning the championship. And, um, you know, every race has been pressure knowing that I might not race next weekend if I don't perform here. I remember talking to you last fall, last winter, and you were kind of weighing whether to take 
some sports car options and a fear was that that might take me out of potential IndyCar opportunities. Turns out it worked out great. The decision you made was there. What Was there actually a firm don't need to bring budget sports car option that you declined because you wanted to be there and be ready in case something like what ultimately did happen happened? Uh, no. Oh, it Kind of. Obviously, I had talks with, with multiple teams, and there were definitely interests about doing it, but say I didn't, and I never went that far to having like a hard offer. Okay. Uh, because I felt kind of at the end of the day, it's like, I want to give it at least a year. Yeah. And see what happens, because this is where my heart lies. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. And, you know, to a certain point, and some of the teams that I was talking to in IMSA as well, like I was being upfront and honest with them saying that, hey, I'm interested in doing it, but if an IndyCar opportunity comes up, I want to grab that. And it doesn't go over that well. No, no, exactly. <laughs> and like it goes two ways. Firstly, it's not really respectful to them because obviously they put their heart and money into that. Yeah. Um, and then to have somebody come up and say to you, hey, you're kind of my second choice here. So, you know, I want to keep my options open. But it also kind of said to me that I wasn't ready to leave this space just yeah. yet. And that was one of the things that I told myself as well is that, all right, well, you have a choice of staying home and on the couch and watching everybody else race and hope for the phone to call or... You get your ass to the track, make sure you got your helmet and everything ready, and make sure that they don't forget you. And if something comes up, be ready. Um, and I told myself, all right, I'll give it a year, see what happens. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm happy that I did. So it's easy now in hindsight because it's all worked out better than it ever could have because rookies without budget don't get hired by championship level teams. They just don't, you know. Uh, but now you're in that position as pretty much a rookie. Are you better now for this than you would have been if, even if you'd been hired by Chip Ganassi somehow to start in 2023? Are you going to have a better chance to be successful with what you've done by watching, plus getting a little bit of time in the car, three races? Are, are you really a rookie? <laughs> um, I think yes and no, because yeah, <laughs> obviously I've done a few races. And even just looking at my age and obviously looking at some of the other drivers like throughout the field, you know, they're making their debut at 18, 19, 20. I look at myself, I'm 24, it will you know, be 25 next year. I'm kind of old, uh, which is a strange feeling. But I think because my, my path has now been straight and in hindsight, I'm actually a little bit fortunate for it because yeah. I've learned so much along the way that, and like I said, in a funny way, I think it actually prepared me even better for the opportunity that I now have because that's another thing. Obviously, I'm extremely grateful and happy for the opportunity, but with this signing also comes pressure. There's pressure being a Chip Ganassi racing driver you're expected to win. But I think that's what kind of ties in so well with who I am because I do this because I love winning. That has been my whole motivation since basically day one. You know, don't get me wrong. It's cool that what I get to do, you know, travel across the world, basically driving fast cars. But the passion that I have is winning. Um, and then it just happens to be in a race car that I was actually good at. Well, the pressure is no different. You've always had to win. Yeah. And you've never had a season guaranteed beyond the season that you were in. No, not even that season usually <laughs> was guaranteed. You may not have had the next race guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and like I said, you know, never really had that. So 
in a way, it will be no different as any other season because the end goal is the same, which is to win. Um, I'm just very fortunate now to be in a position to be a rookie at a team like Chip Ganassi Racing when you have teammates like Scott Dixon and Alex Pillow and, you know, the expectations is obviously not for me to go in and beat those guys straight away. Obviously, that's my goal. Um, but at the same time, knowing that, you know, you're going up against some of the best drivers in the whole world mm -hmm. and to learn from these guys, I mean, it's, I'm extremely privileged in, in that sense. And I've learned so much just watching the last two races of the season. I was with the team and during this off season, you know, it felt like I've been, been back at school, basically. So Pillow was very open that he bugged Jimmy Johnson and Scott Dixon, Dario Franchitti incessantly. So you can pay him back now, right? Uh, because he needs to answer your questions because they answered his. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to keep reminding him of that. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you've had already a chance to get in the car. How many times? Uh, three times I've been in the car so far. So Milwaukee, you did the oval test in last year's car. Yeah, correct. And, and then the, the, the IMS ROP. oval test was in last year's car. Mm -hmm. And have you done some of the hybrid testing? You've done a day or two in that? Yeah, I've done a day in the, the hybrid so far at Sebring, uh, part of the Honda HPD testing. Uh, what can you share with us? What feels different from the driver's standpoint? I know it's a little bit heavier, you know, and they're trying to, to go through um, making sure it works properly. But just when it's working properly, what is different? What do you have to do differently? I mean, we got you know a little bit more tools to use with the um, uh, with the hybrid system where we can deploy and recharge the battery. Um, so you get to use that on you know several places on the track. And I know they're still figuring out how they want to use that system, uh, but it basically just keeps the driver a little bit more busy because you can recharge and kind of deploy it at different different places throughout the race uh, or throughout the track. I would say, um, and it was actually pretty fun to to play around with it. Is that a strategy? Yeah, you're absolutely. This is going to determine. It's not going to be as simple as yeah, I was better than him. You're going <laughs> to have to figure some things out to make sure that you still have energy. I believe. Yeah, like I said, I don't think they've actually like said this is how we're going to use it. If it's going to be like auto deploy and auto regen, okay. uh, or manual deploy or manual regen. Um, so we'll see what they will what they will do with that. But it'll still be. A tool for both drivers and teams to use and try to maximize a little bit more which i think is fun because obviously now the 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 car and the engine has been you know similar for for many many years so uh, i'm yeah. excited that they throw in a new hybrid system and you know give give us a little bit of freedom at least to uh, to help improve it you know mike shank had told me throughout the summer that this new hybrid was factoring into his decision you know, this was even before he had officially hired Tom Blomquist, but I think we all knew that's where he was going. And he was kind of telling me without telling me that that's one of the things that I think he felt was in Tom's favor, that he's done this before. It, you're going to need a thinking driver. It, do you sense, is it going to be more mentally challenging? Is this going to be hard? Yeah. That some may get it and some may be missing a little bit? Yeah. I mean, looking across, I think every... Every driver on, on this field already has a pretty high level of capacity. So I think everybody will be able to handle it. But as with anything, some people are going to get it better than other. Yeah. Um, and I think definitely with... Because I've been watching now some of the Cadillac um, races with, with Chip Ganassi racing on the LMDH side. And man, 
those things are complicated to drive. Um, so seems like it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, haven't had the pleasure to been in it yet so far, um, but I can see those guys having a bit of an advantage being used to the whole hybrid system. Like I said, I don't think it's going to be as complicated as that, but you know, any bit helps. And that ended up, you know, going into Day- Day- Daytona last year. We thought this was going to be a train wreck. Everyone yeah. in the IMSA world thought hey, we might have an LMP2 win overall because we don't know if any of the top class hybrids are going to make it without spending an hour in the garage. And it turns out most of them did. It went fine. And there were really very few issues throughout the season. So I'm sure there's some teething pains going on with the IndyCar people now. But I guess we'd also say it's November and there's not a race until March. So we'll. We'll wait and see. Um, there's been a little social media campaign uh, that I think it's not really been on your account, more from Chip Ganassi Racing, about you kind of exploring. You know, we had Scott McLaughlin Learns America a couple of years ago. Now, you're not new. You've been here, but you probably have better access than you did when you first got here. What have you been able to do in the last few months to explore? Yeah, I mean, uh, there are definitely... Um uh, benefits of being a Chip Ganassi racing driver, that's yeah. for sure. All, all of the sudden, doors have opened that were uh, closed um, before. Um, and it's interesting, like I said, I've been here a couple of years now, but I've never really explored it that much, because it's basically just been traveling a little bit back and forth from, from Sweden as well. Um, so it was good to kind of explore downtown Indy and kind of get to see the... Uh, the main buildings and places where people go to and try out some of the local uh, dishes, um, and it's been it's been fun. Um, it's been good, and more so just getting the feeling of Indy is really my home now because I yeah. know I'm going to be here for a few years. And you went to a Notre Dame game. Is that the the connection with Chip Ganassi Racing, or because James Rowe is Irish? <laughs> I think that was more so <laughs> because he's James Irish. Rowe does he get Irish. field passes? <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but man, he's good. <laughs> he got an extra extra ticket. It's just like, hey, do you want to come to a game? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a blast, and that was our both of our first um, you know college football game. So it was a pleasure to uh, to get that experience, and I got to give a shout out to to Jim that took us around that place as well. It was uh, a good time. And for those that don't know, James is an Indy Next driver for Andretti. Um, what'd you think of Notre Dame? Oh, it was awesome. That, I that's love kind that. of you should go to like my alma mater, Ball State, first time <laughs> around, and then get to experience Notre Dame. No disrespect to Ball State, I can say that because that's my school. But it's a different experience than you get at Notre Dame or Michigan or Ohio State. Yeah, it was it was deeply impressive, uh, and that was like I said, my first ever college game, first ever real like football game that I've been to. Uh, so the bar has been set very high. But even just getting a you know a bit of a history lesson on you know the the school of Notre Dame and every everything that goes with it yeah i mean just the sense that they had an actual gold helmets you know that's peeled off the basilica every year i think that's awesome you know we we should do something like that i think that'd be very cool they don't mess around there they don't mess around no they do not linus lundquist is joining us in studio so today is giving tuesday and i know we did this either last year or the year before um 
every team does a fantastic job of using their platform on Giving Tuesday. So I encourage everyone to check out the social media for uh, every team has some sort of a charitable partner. Uh, ones that I work with closely are Race for RP, for Autoimmune Disease Research, the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center, which was a partner of Chip Ganassi Racing last year as well. We encourage you to donate to them. And what I like what the American Legion is doing again this year, the 12 Days of Vets Giving with different experiences uh, that you really can't purchase. And you have a specific one in here, too. What are you what are you offering up for auction? Yeah, uh, it is a great initiative. And, uh, you know, being a part of this is is a lot of fun. Uh, and it feels good to, to be able to give back a small part. And like I said, we're actually auctioning off um, a martial arts class together with me. Uh, a little bit special, I know. But it'll be fun. Um, you know, I, I love martial arts, and um, it's one of the passions that I have outside of uh, outside of racing. So that'd be pretty cool to share with somebody. What's your experience? Uh, for the past, like, 10, 12 years, I've been doing a little bit on and off. Um, originally started back home in, in kickboxing, uh, went to do some taekwondo. And over here in the U.S., I've kind of explored some some different gyms, but ended up with a fair amount of uh, Muay Thai here in the last, last couple of weeks and months. Have you let the IndyCar drivers know this at a driver's meeting that I am not to be messed with? You know, Will Power can look angry, but I don't think he knows martial arts. <laughs> no, he looks he looks intimidating enough from a distance, so um, I wouldn't need. I don't to think worry I'd want to scrap with Will. No, no. exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I have not, and I'd rather um, you know not showcase that until I need to. Well, that's it. You don't you don't ever have to use it, right? Just people know that you have this ability, and that becomes a great deterrent. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's one way of looking at it. I mean, <laughs> for me, it's, you know, I fell in love with it when I was like 12, 12 or 13. Um, and it's still the most fun I've ever had doing some actual form of training. Um, so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to keep doing it. Does anything, because I'm sure a lot of this is mental, do, do you feel like it helps you as a racing driver? Are there some overlapping things that you need to be good at both? I mean, in theory, yes. Obviously, general fitness, but also reflexes, coordination, and like you said, mentally. You know, I've never done any like professional or amateur fights apart from inside the club, but just having that mentality to keep focused and remain calm, even though someone's literally punching you in the face, uh, <laughs> might be a good attribute to have in the car and just your ability to stay calm. Um, but I'm not going to lie, like when I'm at the sessions, I don't think about, you know, this is going to be good for my racing career. I'm there because I enjoy, yeah. you know, the, the class itself. So it doesn't prove true when people say something along the lines of it's easy to stay calm until you get hit in the face. But you actually can stay calm. I, no, after no you I'm get not hit claiming that I can be. Okay. I'm, I'm just aspiring and trying to stay calm. I'm definitely in full panic mode, though. So some of the other items that are up for bid, Alex Pelot's race worn and autograph fire suit. We think this might be the one that he won when he clinched the championship at Portland. Um, not the season ender Laguna Seca, so that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That current bid is at three thousand right now. There's a boating experience, some IndyCar memorabilia. If you click on that, I think you'd find out what that is. I'm very curious about the cooking class with Marcus Armstrong. <laughs> um, a VIP experience for race weekend, so that is going all at it with sweet access and hang out on the grid, walk down through Gasoline Alley with Chip, mm -hmm. a go-kart and shop tour with Alex Pillow, uh, sit on the pit stand. How awesome would that be during yeah. a race? Hang out with Dario Franchitti in a meet and greet uh, are some of the things. Pace laps, take Scott Dixon to school. 
I like that one. And then hang out with Kiffin Simpson in the Caymans. I mean... I think you might bid on that one as well. Ah, uh, 100%. I mean, that sounds like my perfect winter vacation. Um, I mean, it's amazing. All these things, I don't even get as a driver. Uh, <laughs> Keep working. So, yeah. You're driving the American Legion car. It's not year one. Mm. It's year two or three. You win a championship like Alex and some of these fringe benefits come along as well. Mm. Uh, so go to the Chip Ganassi Racing uh, social media pages. I see a website of givebutter.com. Does that make sense? Give... That's that's yeah. Go to the ChipGanassiRacing dot com website. Okay, and you'll find a link there. And this goes on for a dozen days, so this just starts on Giving Tuesday, but continues. So you have a little time to do some thinking and strategizing on which one is best for you. Linus, it's awesome to have you in. I'm so happy that uh, your patience paid off, and those of us that watched you. For two years in Indy Next, Indy Lights and Indy Next know what is to come. And it's, you know, we won't predict anything. Winning races is hard. But I know this. I I know that you're going to be competitive. And it's going to be fun to watch that development uh, progress. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Kevin. Linus Lundquist, number eight, American Legion Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing. Kurt joins us coming up in a moment. Your tweets and plenty of news. And James Hinchcliffe still before we're done tonight on Trackside. Hi, this is Ed Carpenter, and you're listening to Trackside. Uh, Lots of stuff in the news to get to. As I mentioned, James Hinchcliffe is coming up in about an hour and more. Uh, One other thing I'll mention while we're waiting to get connected with Kurt. I mentioned Giving Tuesday, and one of the things I tweeted today is something I'm I'm excited to be involved in or more proud I'm not going to be involved because I'm not going to be participating in the race at least I hope not but uh, Race for RP relapsing polychondritis is doing an eye race again to raise money for research for autoimmune diseases and I am helping along with John Morley who is a Michelin pilot IMSA driver recruit pro drivers and essentially you can bid to race with the pro coming up on December 12th. Jackson tweeted something out today, my son Jackson Lee, and then I retweeted it. So you can find it there at Kevin Lee 23 or at Jackson Lee 52. But it's December 12th. It's a fixed setup. So it, you know, it's not for everyone. Um, like we've talked about, it'd be great if there was a console game, but there's not. But iRacing is for those that are kind of hardcore. But this is going to be what they call a fixed setup, meaning you don't have to do hours and hours of testing to try to dial the car in. Everybody's going to be a pretty much in an equal car. It can be whatever make or brand you want to have. And then there are uh, some pro drivers, and there are still some being added on as we go. Um, Ricky and Jordan Taylor are among those that are going to be available. Robert Wickens has lent his time. So if you click on the link there, and you can go to raceforrp.org, and you can choose Pick a Pro, View All Items. Daniel Morad is going to be in there. He's a very successful sports car driver. Dan Clark's Speedy Dan Clark, former IndyCar driver who still drives in sports cars. Stefan Wilson, Indy 500 veteran. I talked to Stefan a couple of days ago. By the way, he is good. He's been in a race car. He's healthy. He has not taken a physical yet but he expects to be fine way in advance 
of when he would be needed for Indy if if that all comes together. But you know, thinks he could probably take a physical right now and and would be cleared to drive. Robert McGinnis, who won a race in Indy Lights, who was a sports car driver now, are among those. We'd like someone to bid on Jackson Lee as well and race with him. So that will be cool. And that is uh, at Race for RP. Dot org is where you can find that information. And they have a Twitter account as well. You can find it with us. All right. Uh, technology is fantastic, and we've got it figured out. Luckily, I'm not involved, or we would have never figured it out because I can't even make the thing work at home. Kurt is joining us now on location. Hello, Kurt. <laughs> Good to be with you. Sorry it has to be from afar, but uh, these are the days we live in, and you know, we're owed vacation once in a while. Okay. You, you're doing well. You've got the avoid Indiana thing down much better than I do these days. And it was like 17 today. So I'm, I'm not all happy about that. So I'm going to be trying to effort some sort of project in another city in, in the coming weeks. Um, we haven't talked any news yet, so we can kind of start from wherever you want. I did see... I think it ended yesterday, but I would encourage people to check it out again. We were just talking about this last week. Keep an eye out for Peacock Deals. Uh, Two bucks a month, 20 bucks a year. It was just out there for a Black Friday deal. Year long, by the way, was a code, so I'd give that a try. It might still work, but they may do one again uh, right around the end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised when they have those two NFL games, if they do some sort of a deal at the end of the year, the beginning of next year. So we encourage people to check in with that. Uh, The gift that keeps on giving. I know we've got Alex Pillow court news, courtesy of Jenna Fryer and the Associated Press. Did you read this story? Did we gather anything from it? Well, you know, I I did read it. Um, (laughs) It just continues, doesn't it? You, You wonder, I guess my first thought is, when is this going to totally resolve itself? You know, is this something Alex Pelot deals with the rest of his life <laughs> or the rest of his career? You know, so I kind of, I guess that was my, my takeaway from, from the story. Um, you know, I'm sure that the m- main goal from both parties would be some sort of a settlement, but there is, I imagine, a large gap into what is acceptable. McLaren is asking for $23 million in damages, and my guess is Alex Pillow is probably thinking, yeah, I'll pay you back the $400,000 that you advanced me. Uh, Other than that, and there's a wide berth in between, and I get what both sides are saying. I don't know how you're going to be able to charge him for the cost of these Formula One tests and for potential sponsor loss. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Well, you know... I, I, I like the the headline really caught me. I, I saw it on ESPN's uh, website uh, that he admits breach of contract. <laughs> well, of course, of course he did. I mean, but normally you don't admit to something like that. You know, you're always no, I'm not guilty. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, this is this is you know we had a different arrangement, something. But uh, that was kind of that was another thing that that struck me. He admits breach of contract well then we've got to then we got to settle some money in the response Pelot says he changed his mind about joining McLaren ahead of the 24 season when he lost trust and confidence that McLaren genuinely intended to support his ambition to race in the Formula One series and decided to continue racing with CGR in the IndyCar series instead so let me I guess let me ask you this do you really think sitting where you sit and knowing what you know not only about 
Formula One, but McLaren in general. Again, not so much maybe about McLaren and their inability to hold you know, their word, but I'm thinking more about maybe globally with Formula One and the way it operates. Did you really think he's going to be a full-time Formula One driver, you know, in, in the near future? Did you have that sense? No, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what he was told. So I don't suspect there was ever going to be anything in writing that you are going to be a Formula One driver in 25. But at the time, when this was all starting in 22, we had not seen Oscar Piastri in a Formula One car. So, and he was going to have to perform. And I think in Pelot's mind, his thought was, I'm going to get some time in the car. I'm going to be good. He might struggle. That's going to be my path. And there were also some rumors that Lando Norris might be interested in moving on at some point. So I I think he thought there were potentially two opportunities there. But then once this year started and he saw how good Piastri was and that he wasn't going anywhere anytime soon, then it may have just become a realization that, yeah, there's no path there. I've got a better chance somewhere else in Formula One or I'm better served just to stay here and keep winning races and winning championships. I think the key in all of this, the only way he can get out of that is if he can say they promised me verbally that I would be in Formula One. But I doubt they so, did. I doubt they did. I, not only do you doubt they did, and and that's where my suspect is, not so much with McLaren specifically. I'm not saying that McLaren necessarily you know, lies to drivers or even leads them on. That's neither for here nor there. But in Formula One, that's kind of the business that, people operate in and if he doesn't have that in writing then i think he was i just think sometimes you want to believe something and so you connect dots and and, and you believe that it's going to be true and i think that he just had he, he needed to absolutely have it in writing and if he didn't then i thought he he was probably uh you know he was probably had a reason to start looking elsewhere yeah, it's it's going to be tangled, and I don't see it getting resolved immediately um, unless there's a big payment plan worked out, which is probably what's going to come of this. You know, if he indeed did say, yeah, I breached the contract, then he's going to have to pay something. Now it's just a matter of, of how much. And from Pelot's standpoint, I hope, and I still think it's possible, that he has someone from some entity saying, we are going to help you with this. This is not all on you. Um, I I think that's true. I think it's true as well. Uh, But everyone has a limit on how much they're willing to help someone in this situation. I mean, if you're asking for a million or two million or, you know, can somebody float him five, you know, I I can see paths to that. But this is a business where you're going to need people to fund you in some capacity in the future. I guess the other thing is, and you've talked about this at pretty good length, it, this isn't about money to Formula One. I mean, to McLaren. Uh, you know, McLaren doesn't need three to five million. This is about principle with McLaren. And so I I kind of see them holding holding firm to their number or something really close that is painful to 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 Alex and his supporters. They might. They've got attorneys on retainer. And... 
unless Palo has someone backing him, he'd probably prefer not to have his attorneys be quite so busy on that front. Uh, meanwhile, the driver who is getting more opportunities because Alex Palo stayed with Chip Ganassi Racing is Pato Award, who in the, I don't know what you'd call it, young driver test. There are a lot of young drivers. And then there were about half that were in the field this year in the test today. And Alex, uh, make that Pato Award was second quick today. You know, everybody's on a different program. You never know. But, you know, I think that again shows what we all know if you put a top level IndyCar driver in in a fair situation they're going to do well in formula one and when you say top level i think it's at least 10 deep i mean i think it is i think the talent across the board in in indycar has risen to a level it was always really good at the top but i think the top is deeper uh, than it than it has been, you know, maybe not ever. That's that's foolish of me to say, but I think it's certainly as deep as we think it is, and it may be even deeper. And so the fact that that Pato ran well doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Pato's in that group, and I say ten. It may be I, I'd have to start counting. <laughs> you already got three at Penske, and you go to Ganassi, and then you add Andretti, and you add go down through the list, and and there's a lot of them. Uh, I think there's a lot of drivers uh, that could do what what Pato did. No disrespect to Pato, but I'm saying there's a lot of IndyCar drivers that could be second on that speed chart. Again, you don't know exactly what that means, and maybe they wanted him to show well or 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 whatnot. I just like I like that Pato's getting to do this without uh, without sacrificing his day job, if you will, and that's kind of what. Uh, Pelot's situation is and has been is that he basically was sacrificing his day job uh, to, to to pursue this other option. So it's good for Pato. It's good to be Pato as usual. And, uh, you know, we all want him to, to show well. We None of us really want him to leave uh, to do Formula One, but we all want him to do well. Well, same thing as for Pelot. There's really not much of a path for him, certainly not anytime soon. It's it's going to depend on how long Piastri's contract is, how long Lando Norris's contract is, and I think maybe he did an extension recently because both of them have done well. Um, so if he's going to stay in the McLaren family, then there's not going to be an opening for a while. And for some reason, Formula One thinks once you hit 27, you're old, and they won't give you a chance anymore. So by the time next time there is an opening... You know, Pato would have kind of reached that threshold, but you never know. You never know. In a lot of ways, it's just kind of best of both worlds. You know, I, I know he would love to have the opportunity, but Pato was also reasonable enough to understand, I've got a pretty good job. I saw a quote from him today that says, I, I want to win the Indy 500 for McLaren. I want to win a championship. Um, and now he gets to drive cars. Race car drivers like to drive all kinds of cars. So that that goes along with it, and I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. We'll get into some more news items and more coming up. Uh, your tweets are welcome. If you have something, we can interact. Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. It's Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Eli Castroneves, and you're listening to Trackside. We had an Indy Next signing today, Jack William Miller, who was Local from Noblesville, his dad, Dr. Jack Miller, drove in the Indy 500. Jack has been in the road to Indy for several years, has done a couple of tests, and they confirmed that the family-owned one-car team is moving up 
there is a legitimate chance of 22 Indy Next cars next year. HMD is going to be somewhere between 8 to 10, and then you've got four at Andretti. You've got maybe three, maybe four at Abel, uh, probably two at Hunko's Hollinger. The goal is two at Cape Motorsports. Uh, so you just start adding them up, and maybe I forgot somebody there. But but 22 is realistic. My guess is we're probably going to see at least 20. 20, if I had to do an over-under, I would say 21. That, that something might fall out. But 20 or 21, I think, is going to be our number there. Uh, and then uh, Simon Sykes officially was announced with Paps Racing today, the USF 2000 champion. We are due to have him on the program. We always get the Road to Indy champs on at some point. And Simon had a fantastic season for Pabst and stays with them to move up to USF Pro 2000. More news items to get to. And James Hinchcliffe coming up in a few minutes on Trackside. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. And we've crossed one of those milestones because the major racing season is complete with, and I'm I'm sure there's still something going on. There's always something somewhere, but NASCAR's done, IndyCar's done, IMSA is done, Formula One is done after this past weekend. So now we can really look forward to 20. 24. Uh, I looked it up. Um, I couldn't remember what it was, but I think it was an IBM commercial that Jamie Chadwick was involved in a few years ago. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. I know Kurt had a thought too when I was chatting about, about, about Jamie. I also saw her at Formula One presenting something over the weekend on behalf of DHL. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain it was IBM. And I did check, I watched that commercial live with. Uh, Apple and the Mac, it was a Mac brand, as you pointed out, uh, for Jamie. And I thought it was a formula car. What's our app? You know, they use video that from they gathered someplace. But it, I checked with IndyCar, and it truly was an Indy Next uh, sequence. I didn't see it quick enough. Uh, you know, it, it went so quick, I couldn't really tell, but it was from the Nashville race. Uh, so that actually was 2023 footage. Um, and so that's Jamie. Uh, a couple things that, that struck me this week. I don't know if you've had a chance to touch on them. So let me, let me throw one at you. One, I think it was interesting that we heard from Simon Pagano this week, at least on social media, very nondescript, no racing attention, mm-hmm. just Thanksgiving. You know, I, it's, we haven't heard from Simon. And uh, I thought that was nice that he was able, you know, he shared some, you know, good photo, looks good. It's a good, it's a good step. Yeah. So I thought that was a a kind of a good thing. I I assume you haven't heard any more about, you know, where does he factor into the motorsports calendar to start 24 or any activity on that front? I don't know. Um, Yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't know if he is in contact with teams saying I'm interested and I'm available. Uh, There are still full season seats available, but I think they are all going to require budget. So that seems unlikely. So it's probably Indy 500. Now the only caveat is there, there sometimes is a scenario, even seats that require budget. If one of the seats is essentially overfunded then that can help them hire a second seat. And 
maybe quietly over the last two months, Simon has had someone working on his behalf. But my best guess is that it's late in the game that if he decides he wants to race, it's probably going to be what did Hinch called a few years ago, a gap year. You know, it's going to be, I'm going to do the Indy 500. I'm going to become available. And it will then be known because there are, I think, still a few drivers that are going to be free agents at the end of next season. And he potentially can be high on their list as well. So, no, nothing new on that front. Uh, and similarly, I know Racer had the chance to talk to Callum Eilat. And look, I don't put... I mean, they are different drivers, Pagano and Eilat, but they're kind of in the same spot in that it's kind of late in the game. It's gotten late early, as my friend likes to say. And, you know, I, it's just interesting. You know, we've talked Eilat, but just that, that, you know, his thoughts now are that, you know, boy, they're just it, the timing. He clearly seemed to do what we talked about last week or at least the week before, that the timing just isn't good for Callum. And so in both those cases – Pagano and I, I lot. I think the sport is better to have them in it, and I, and I again, I don't see a path for either one of them right now, but it could happen, and I hope, I hope it does. You know, the, people. the challenge for Callum, even in the Indy 500, unless he can bring budget, he's competing with Indy 500 drivers, Indy 500 winning drivers, for some of the final seats. If Pagano wants to drive, Takuma Sato has not been announced. Ryan Hunter Ray has not been announced at this point. I brought up James Hinchcliffe last week on the program. He's not a winner in the 500, but he's a pole setter and he's a six-time race winner. I'll ask him in a half hour if he should be considered on that list as well. Uh, but th- there are just a lot of possibilities for next season that makes it it very difficult. Connor Daly is... Connor Daly. Yeah, so it's tough. It's going to be tough to find spots for next year. Did you have a chance? I thought Mark Miles had some comments on racer relative to a, a big event in 25. I've I've heard some, you know, they're digging into some ideas for having this kind of big event like, like Thermal Clothes, think, you know, creative and out of the box. I've not gotten any whiff of any direction this is headed, so I'll just be clear about that. But my mind has has really been racing, trying to think, okay, what would be NASCAR Chicago-like? What would be really making a splash somewhere in a market where IndyCar has not been and could be, more importantly? And so uh, I assume you you didn't get to that with Linus. Uh, That wouldn't be a topic for him. Uh, But did anything strike you in terms of an idea that might be way out there that could be possible? I don't know what this is. I, I heard something over the summer that there was potentially something that could be big for a market, for a venue, for an event on the horizon. And I haven't really done a lot of digging into it. And it's possible. So we, we hear of potential street races all the time. And I've lost track of how many of them over the years. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess I've heard of about six to eight over the last 15 years that never came to fruition. And in some cases, like Nashville, they eventually do come to fruition, but it took seven years for it to happen. So it's possible that whatever is on the horizon is one of those cities that I heard about 10 years ago. And they're just now getting to the finishing line because it is so difficult to make a street event happen. And that's my first guess, 
that it's that it's a street race because I don't know in permanent tracks what is out there that you would say, well, yeah, that's a home run. That's a no-brainer. Um, you know, we'd love to see Phoenix. We'd love to see Richmond. Uh, I mean, I guess from what Mark was saying, if say you had come up with a conversation with NASCAR to do a combined effort with one of their races, you know, I think that might fit the criteria for something big. Would, would, would you agree with that? I don't, I don't think that's it, but I think that would qualify. And what is the short track? And and I, I know this is still kind of working its way through and it hasn't happened yet, but they've only started to to tear down, Uh, Fontana, if you had a short track there, could that be kind of a place to reintroduce the short track? Is it big enough for an IndyCar race? I can't remember what they've talked about building. I thought it was going to be like a half a mile or three quarters, but there really is no plan. So this cannot be what Mark is alluding to because they have not decided what they're going to do. And it is a month away from 2024. So there, there is not going to be an IndyCar race at any form of Fontana in 2025. There is no way yeah, I that that's ready. I couldn't, I couldn't remember how far along they were in, in teardown and, and planning. Uh, that, they that, are that not anywhere in planning. Yeah. <laughs> it has been tabled so, because um, of a challenging economic environment and kind of rethinking, huh, do we really want to do this or are we better off investing in another street race or something else? So, you know, they, they, they have said, NASCAR has said, we still have plans for Fontana. We just don't know what they are. Uh, and we haven't finalized what they are. So they're planning on doing something with it. They just don't know exactly what it is. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I was just at the location not long ago where the Boston street race was going to be. I wish that would have come to fruition. I remember hearing about a proposed event in Providence at one point. I've heard about Oklahoma City. We've heard about Fort Lauderdale, which would be awesome. So many different obstacles in all of these. And I think I've heard of another three or four uh, potential street Denver? races. Tulsa, yes, one? Denver came up. That's come up again in the last couple of years, so maybe that's it. That'd be a great market. Um, yeah, who knows? And yeah, well, it's it's the time of the year when we can sit back and think about you know all kinds of 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 possibilities. You may not remember this. It was kind of as you were becoming a factor uh, in the sport on a regular basis, but there was at one point uh, a plan to do a, a road race in Aruba. And how that was going to be a, I you know, a destination yeah. type event, and uh, of course that didn't come to fruition either. Well, and there's the Hawaii Pre, right? Oh yeah, the uh, cart race in the late nineties was going to pay gonna... what ten million or something? 10 million? Yeah, <laughs> Hawaii Super Pre. That might have been it. I think. I yeah. think there are some T-shirts out there for that. Um, yeah, I don't know what that would be. That would be. Uh, that's exciting. And Mark has also said to a couple of different publications that things are looking more optimistic for an exhibition race after the championship is concluded, which is why it would be an exhibition in probably October in Argentina. 
And I saw some quotes in a report that said that the uh, presidential election, he does not believe, is going to have any impact on whether that happens. And he hopes that they can get to the finish line soon and potentially be able to announce that sometime in January. And that'd be awesome to have some news at that point. Um, I don't know if this is really a public thing, and it doesn't matter to anyone, but this is when we'll start to get some more content. Drivers will be in Indianapolis for content days this year before mid-January, and that's probably when they have meetings and take physicals, you know, so that's kind of a good time to to make some announcements leading up before things get going uh, with more, and there's going to be really no off-season at all because... Last I heard, there's still hybrid testing going up until like December 23rd as they dial these in and they'll take a quick break for the holidays and they'll get started in January. So you'll continue to see a little bit of social media content and different things out of that. So uh, that's going to be fun. Also on the news list, Silly Season for Engineers, a report mentions that Brandon Fry has hit the open market. So uh, I'm sad because Brandon has become... One of uh, the people that I can always find out what's going on with the BMW RLL IMSA team. He's been their technical director, team manager, uh, and so forth. So he was kind of the guy I would go to to get an all-encompassing report on how it's going. And it started poorly for them last year and finished up really well. They were the last to get their cars and kind of started behind. And they won a race and factored into the championship a little bit. And essentially, it sounds like he'd like to engineer a car again. And he's worked in IndyCar. He's done the extra entries for the 500 and and engineered Ferrucci when he had a good run a few years ago. So my guess is... He will have a job the second he is eligible to have a job because good engineers are difficult to find. And, you know, and we had read earlier that Craig Hampson was a free agent. We've not seen anything on that. That's probably because contractually he is either not allowed to announce or probably not allowed to sign. It's uh, likely going to be similar to when Gavin Ward left Penske and didn't join McLaren until the summertime. Now, hopefully for Craig's sake, it's not you know, a full year or whatever, but maybe it's December 31st or or whatever. But, you know, if you're wondering why haven't we seen that? Well, it's probably because there is some sort of a clause in his previous contract that he is not allowed to join anyone. And he may even have to, as they say in Formula One, take a gardening leave uh, and with a non-compete and not be able to do anything for a little while. Uh, I mentioned, Uh, go ahead. I was just going to make the point you you brought up the hybrid testing. I had a chance. Uh, we had a company retreat, uh, well, big a big kind of staff gathering, if you will, and I had a chance to just casually talk to and learn more, honestly, about the hybrid program with Jay Fry. Uh, he gave a presentation mm-hmm. about it and the benefits and so forth. But I pulled him aside and and I just said, "Help me, you know, help me kind of understand where we're at and and how." how the your confidence in the program and you you know jay is jay is is pretty easy to read <laughs> jay jay is uh you, you know where you stand and and it's it's a great thing about jay he's he's very uh down to earth very you know he, he you know and he was he was beaming about the program and and excited about it and um, you know, that's, I, I just felt great comfort in that. And, and I know that any new project, uh, initially has challenges, whether it's a, a you know, whatever 
take any element of motorsports that we've seen over the last 30 years. Initially, you know, you, you're like, well, which hurdle are we going to, to overcome? Uh, the Honda Chevy partnership, as they work together on this hybrid system, has been outstanding. Uh, he couldn't stop raving about that. I know we heard that from him, a few, you know, several weeks back. But but this was a just a gathering in the side of the room, and as we were walking outside, stood and talked, and and uh, just a great energy from from Jay on that subject. And I guess you know, there's nothing new to report from that standpoint, but you just feel. You want to feel good about the program, and I certainly got that from him. And that that was really uh, it was good to listen to him, listen to some of the some of the pros that that it adds, and some of the things that go with it. So anyway, well, that's good that he's talking really... about that because that's been one of the conversations in the industry, and it always depends on the perspective of the person you're talking to. You know, ideally, everyone would like these things to be plugged in and they work a hundred percent of the time, and sometimes with a new project that happens but this is a very challenging project and there's there are some that are predicting gloom and doom with this because it's not working as much as they would like to and there i think are some challenges that they are struggling to figure out but as i was talking with with linus a little while ago you know it is november and i remember going to the rolex 24 last year and everyone thought because there had been a lot of challenges in testing for the imsa hybrids that none of them will last well it turns out they had very few issues so in fairness november is not march uh beast the penske car didn't it struggle to complete 500 yeah. miles up until like mid-May? And then they yeah, eventually got it, it sorted. And obviously things went well in 1994 for Team Penske in the Indianapolis 500. So it's fascinating. It's a great engineering project and uh, it may have more relevance in the industry. All right, still more to come. I, I want to get into uh, some some rumors about NASCAR television. But James Hinchcliffe is, is set to join us trackside in Portugal. <laughs> That's coming up next. Hi, this is Colton Herta, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks for staying with us. Trackside continues, and, and our next segment is going to be Trackside for our guest, and I think it's our first guest joining us via Portugal. James Hinchcliffe is with us now. You didn't travel enough this year, so this must be simple. You need uh, need some miles to what reach silver, maybe gold this year in your status. I, I, I think at this point, any more miles are just going to give me a chunk of the company. It, it's been uh, it's been one of those years, Kev. But yes, uh, I am I am quite literally trackside in Portugal, and I appreciate you having me on the show. So uh, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. Um, when you first joined NBC full-time a couple of years ago, you said, I'm not going to race IndyCar full season anymore. You did not retire. You essentially said, I'd be open for the right project. And now it has come together. You're going to be the endurance driver in the three long races for FAP Motorsports, who switched to McLaren next year in GTD Pro. That's a GT3 car. How did this all come together? You know, it's it's been a long time coming, if I'm honest. We uh, we started holding talks with FAF all the way back at the kind of end of 2021 when I had sort of made the the decision of of stepping back from IndyCar and and doing some IMSA racing was kind of always on the on the radar for me. It was something I've I've got to do, you know, Daytona a bunch of times in the past, but I, you know, I'd wanted to be more involved. And so we started talking then 
and honestly came close a couple of times to getting, you know, deals done for 22 and 23, but various reasons, you know, motorsports, that's racing, that's life. It didn't all come together. Uh, but obviously, you know, we stayed in touch and, and now, uh, very happy to finally be part of the team. You know, it's obviously a Canadian program, which is, which is kind of a cool bonus for me. And, um, you know, the transition over to McLaren after almost a decade running with Porsche is, uh, is a big, big deal for them. So it's a big year for the team and, uh, it's exciting to get the opportunity to get back behind the wheel and, uh, and do what I love, you know? And that's part of what you're doing in Portugal because they are going to a new car uh, they need as much time in a McLaren as they, as they can find before Daytona because that comes up on us fast. It sure does, man. I mean, when we think about the fact that, you know, top-level pro racing kind of just finished this past weekend with, you know, the Formula One season finale, it's really not that long until the teams are packing up and, and heading down uh, to Florida for the roar. And, you know, we... I don't think we're going to have our car in time for the December test that's happening there. And so this was just a great opportunity to get some laps in the car. Obviously it's a new car to them. It's a new everything for me. You know, I've got very limited GT running. Um, And so it was just a great opportunity to kind of meet my new teammates. One of them I already know really well from back in the A1GP days, Ollie Jarvis and, um and yeah just kind of start to get to work together and and start laying the foundation for hopefully what's a you know a successful championship bid for those guys for next year and and you do know one of your teammates in daytona daytona only fairly well did you encourage alexander rossi to come join in the fun on this uh yeah for sure i mean you know i i i pitched it to him as Hey, we've got to we've got to make up for that Bathurst 1000 appearance we did together because that was pretty dismal and uh you know I, I i think that helped motivate him but uh but no obviously excited to to have rossi in the car um you know he's got a ton of experience in those long races all in prototypes so again gts are new to him and uh, i think we both share the same you know reservations and trepidations about jumping into a new style of car but i think we can lean on each other and and lean on our teammates and uh and you know lean on the experience of this team who've been so successful to uh, to put together a strong campaign. James Hinchcliffe is joining us. You touched on this. Uh, you know, I think some people think, oh, a former IndyCar driver, a successful IndyCar driver, if he wants to go sports car racing, just raises his hand and it, and it happens. These seats, especially the pro seats, are they just as competitive and difficult to come by almost as much as an IndyCar seat? Honestly, yes. You know, it's uh, it's funny. You you look back. I think you know you you go back twenty years. That was probably the case. You know, if you stepped out of an IndyCar career and had an interest in going sports car racing, you could probably have your choice. You know, of of you be you be you be sifting through the contract offers and uh, and trying to decide which one to go with. Nowadays, like everything in motorsports, everything is so uh, so specialized. And a lot of drivers are making that transition to sports cars at a, at a very early age. Very good drivers are doing that. And so, you know, by the time us old IndyCar guys roam around, they're sitting there on a decade of sports car experience. And why would a team hire you having done five Rolex 24s in the last 15 years? So I, I get it. It's just, it's been, uh, it's been interesting to see the the kind of landscape and the dynamic. And, you know, there are some incredible drivers right now in IMSA, whether it's in the prototypes or, or in the GT programs. Um, and, you know, you have those 
factory relationships. And it's cool to see, honestly, as much as it, it may have burned me in the last couple of years, it's cool to see how loyal the manufacturers are to their drivers. You know, they, they have drivers in their program, they develop them over a period of time and they give them shots and, and that's really how it should be. So I'm, I'm happy for the sake of the sport that that's kind of what the, the situation is. Took me a little bit longer to get my, uh, my toe in the water, but, uh, we're there now and, and hopefully, you know, it's, uh, it's just a be- just the beginning for me in this sense. And that's what I wanted to get to next. Just the beginning in some ways, is this like you're 17 or 18 years old again, because you're going to restart and build a resume and you could easily do this for another 10, 12, 15 years. If you want to bill Oberlin, uh, is, is still going strong in his mid fifties. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I, I don't know if, I don't know if mid fifties, I'm still going to have it in me, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but no, in a lot of ways, you're right. It's, it's almost like getting the opportunity as a, as a young driver to come in for the endurance races and, and kind of prove your worth. You know, I, I have the, the advantage of, of a bit of age and, and some racing maturity, so to speak, but you know, there are, there are 16 year olds out there that have more GT experience than I do right now. So it's, uh, it's all just, it's all just sort of the, you know, the nature of the game. But, you know, like I said, I've, I've got a lot of faith in the team and, uh, and I'm going to be working really hard to, uh, to get myself up to speed as quickly as possible and, and make sure I'm doing my part to, like I said, help them fight for a championship. So as we restated, you did not retire as a driver and you've said publicly before that in the right circumstances, you'd consider the Indy 500 again. Is there any chance the right circumstance comes around in 2024? You know, it's funny. We've had some interesting conversations about 2024. Um, you know, what one in particular that is certainly uh, certainly an option that would you know check all the boxes for me. But um, you know, you're you're far from the only guy or girl looking to get in the car. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I wouldn't say it's uh, it's an impossibility. I wouldn't say we're close either. Um, but I think, yeah, I think we've probably had more serious conversations about 24 than we have the last two years. And if it, if it comes together, awesome. You know, I, I would, I would genuinely love to do the 500, you know, at least one more time and, um, and, and kind of get to do that the right way. Uh, but also to the same extent, if it doesn't, uh, I'm also totally fine. You know, I, I get that. Um, all the pieces do have to come into place and I don't want to just, you know, do it with anyone, you know, with a program that I, I don't think can really be competitive. So, um, we'll see, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep knocking on doors and, and making the right calls and, and hopefully some might come together. I like it. So you're telling me there's a chance and it's actually better than that. <laughs> it's better than you're telling me there's a chance. And we will reiterate that Hinch is still very much, uh, full time with the NBC on IndyCar program. You won't have any conflicts with this sports car uh, deal, right? There, there are no weekend conflicts, and you can correct double dip at Daytona. You can broadcast and drive like Townsend and AJ Allmendinger used to do. Yeah, exactly right. I've I've let the powers that be at, at NBC know that I'm I'm willing and able to fill that role. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, there's also some news today that we combined on. You have had some time to do some different projects. And even when you were driving full time, you had different projects going on. And one of them was Speed Group, a management company in motorsports. And it was announced today that I'm joining the Speed Group team to help drivers and their families uh, make their way up the motorsports ladder. So I'll let you explain Speed Group and kind of the history of it and, and what we're doing right now and how we're kind of expanding things. 
Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, welcome to the team. Uh, very excited to be adding uh, adding your expertise and your knowledge to uh, to what we do at Speed Group. And yeah, I mean, what that is 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 a vision that that started ten years ago. Um, well, I mean, the vision started about fifteen years ago with David Martinez, Tony Calderon, and myself sitting there lamenting about how challenging, you know, navigating the the different barriers and, and obstacles that, uh, that the motorsports world can throw at you can be uh, at the time, all being, you know, young, either dr- drivers or, you know, aspiring team owners um, in the sport. And, you know, back in uh, about 10 years ago, we, we formed Speed Group with with the idea to kind of offer our experience, you know, to young drivers and their families to help navigate motorsports. I didn't have anybody that was in the sport that I could bounce ideas off of or get advice from. And, um, and so for the last 10 years, we've been sort of helping out consulting with drivers and their families and, uh, kind of helping direct and and manage their careers. And it's, it's been something that I kind of had my, hand in but when i was driving you know obviously my focus was my career and now in the last sort of 24 months stepping away from full-time indycar it's given me a little bit more time and uh you know one of one of our partners tony calderon is is found himself in a, in a similar situation stepping back from one career and and we both decided we really wanted to put a bunch more focus into uh into speed group for 2024 and uh one of the first conversations was well i think we need to bring some extra people in and you were top of the list just with your, you know, recent experience being a racing dad, bringing Jackson up through the road to Indy and understanding the politics, understanding the economics, understanding all the challenges that uh, that are facing, you know, anyone that's trying to make a make a stab at a professional uh, career in motorsports, be it in open wheel or sports cars or stock cars. Um, there are challenges to all, but there are a lot of parallels between them all and. Uh, our combined experience is what we're, you know, essentially trying to uh, to offer to some to some families to help them bridge that gap and and make a successful run at it. Good. That was my next question: is what am I doing in this? No, I, I actually I think I have an idea what I'm <laughs> what I'm doing. And I'll say this, and I, I've mentioned this before: people have suggested, "Hey, you should start managing drivers." And I don't I don't want to be a driver manager. I need to do some other things that I want to do other things. And I also don't have all of the knowledge to be a one person shop. So this is what makes sense for me because Tony has the expertise on all sides, especially the team and the business side of things. You obviously have done everything involved there. Uh, David is a, a team owner in the junior formula rank. So that's what makes sense for me is that I can just kind of stay in my lane and we're not going to go raise money for people. That's very difficult to do. And I've said before too, anyone that tells you they are going to go find money for you for junior formula racing is probably lying to you. You are the best person that can find money for yourself. You need to represent yourself, but there is a template and and we can share that template. And then there are just lots of ways that you can save money. And I think that's the biggest thing is there's so many mistakes made um, so we may not go out and find you a bucket load of money, but I think we can save you a significant amount of money by not making some of the ma- same mistakes we all made coming through this. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really where it started was, you know, the, the, the very first conversation that, that David, Tony and I ever had about speed group was, I think it was at an Applebee's in Houston, Texas or something. <laughs> and, and the sort of tagline again, this was years before the company was ever formed, but the tagline was sort of, you know, pay us 50 grand, we'll save you 500. And, and that it was, it was the, the saving money was really the initial uh, motivation for it. Just, avoiding the pitfalls and the mistakes that we all made David and I as drivers and, and what Tony witnessed from the team side, uh, that was the biggest part. And then, you know, for sure, racing's expensive. We all understand that. And when I was young, I found success in certain ways of, of trying to, uh, trying to find money. And, you know, Kev, what you've done with Jackson has been so, so impressive. Uh, you know, I, I've not met many people that really understood it and, and worked the system the way that you did. And so, like you say, we've now got this this playbook of experience and this template of how to go find money. So, again, like as you said, we're not going to cold call companies on your behalf, but we will help you utilize, you know, the tools that we've got and and the network that, you know, each individual has to uh, to employ some of these strategies that we've had success with in the past. Um, So, again, it's a little bit of, of hopefully trying to help you raise some money, but also definitely trying to save you some money from, uh, from making the mistakes that we did all those years ago. So I, I've um, been surprised that people are always interested on this show of kind of learning the business of things. So that's why I wanted to have you on. And we kind of talk about these. We're only going to take a few clients, right? Because we, we all have other jobs. So Mac Clark, who's been a very successful USF 2000 driver and is Movie. He won the junior championship, what, last year? And he's going to, I think, I don't know if that's been announced yet, but I think he's moving up to pro next season. He's one of the clients. We're going to work with Jackson a little bit, but what, we're looking for another three or four young drivers at this point, correct? Yeah, that's just it. I mean, we 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 want to do it right. We want to be able to give all of our clients the amount of attention that, you know, we think is is required to to be successful at this level. And um, so we're not just kind of taking anybody that calls us. We've already had calls with some people that, you know, we've we've decided don't fit exactly what we're looking for. Um, we've got a few prospective clients, you know, that we're discussing with about, you know, 2024 and 2025. Uh, but yeah, we, we don't have to, we kind of have a number that we want to hit. We don't have to hit, we don't have to fill that number if, yeah. if it just for the sake of filling it, you know, we're really going to select the the families and the drivers that we think, you know, fit what we're trying to do with speed group. So it's, uh, it's definitely going to be, you know, if you want to use the word boutique in that sense, it's not going to be a, a mass production here. It's going to be very hands-on. It's going to be, you know, you, me, Tony, David, Vero and, and our group, um, giving our clients, you know, the most hands-on and, and full service, um, help that we can give them. I'm excited. This will be fun. I, I like to continue to learn and this will be a, a, a nice new venture. If anyone knows anyone interested, just Google speed group. That's an easy way to find it. It's speed groups or contact me or Hinch and we'll uh, get the ball rolling there. Two other quick things. You were at Vegas, just an overarching um, thought on the weekend, especially once we got past the the issues on Thursday uh, for Formula One's debut at Vegas. You know what? Look, I, I went into it with a, um, I would say, a fairly hefty dose of skepticism 
just based on, you know, what I'd seen, what I'd heard from people involved in the event itself and in Formula One, whatever. Um, when we showed up on Wednesday, I was very impressed. Everything was finished. You know, there was there was no there didn't seem to be any panic. Um, they seem to have everything under control, even if they didn't actually, they <laughs> seemed to, which is all that matters. Uh, and then, yeah, look, that first practice thing that happens to every series. It's happened a hundred times to a hundred different series. So it looked and sounded so much worse just because of all the extra attention that was on this event. But that's a very, you know, normal thing to experience. Uh, unfortunately, that kind of, uh, of holdup on a new temporary circuit. Other than that, when you go through the rest of the weekend, I talked to a bunch of fans, friends of mine that came as fans, random people we saw walking back to the hotels, asked them about the fan experience from their standpoint. And it was universally positive. I mean, uh, not to say there wasn't any negative comments at all, but I would say that nobody left with a uh, with a bad taste in their mouth. Overall, the experience is very good. When you consider that it was a first year, you would expect more issues than I think that we witnessed there. So, you know, hats off to everybody, you know, at, at LVGP and, and FOM that, that got it done. And then on top of that, it was a hell of a race, wasn't it? I mean, it was yeah. just, it was such a good show on Sunday or a, yeah, I guess Saturday night, Sunday morning, however you want to look at it, um, that you can, you can be forgiven for the odd, uh, the odd little thing. So, I mean, <clears throat> I, and Rossi and I talked about this on our show, the one thing that I didn't love was the, the, the reaction to, or how they had to handle, you know, fans not being able to stay for that second practice that eventually happened on that first night. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's not an event issue. That's a deeper, bigger issue than that. I think as far as the, the Grand Prix in Las Vegas goes, um, yeah, for a first crack at it, I think it was great. And, and I think, in the IndyCar world, we're all still wrestling with, is this good or bad for us? You know, we need to figure out to utilize what's going well in Formula One and adapt that and and get people to understand, here's another option that won't cost you quite so much. But bottom line with this, I think if this would have failed, like I think a lot of people were rooting for it to do, I think that would have been bad for IndyCar because companies would have blanketed all of it together. Oh, that was a miserable failure. I'm not going to, especially if you want to start a new street event. If that fails horribly, I think it would have been more difficult for IndyCar the next time they go to start a street event. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. You know, I think when you're when you're talking to, you know, the, the, the C-suite of these big companies, right? If they are not educated racing fans, they will just have this headline in their mind you know, Vegas Grand Prix street race was a disaster and that will kind of sour them on motorsports period. They won't do the due diligence to look into what that really means and is, is a different form of racing still appropriate for their company to be involved, whether it's from a car side or a driver side or a track side or a series side, whatever. It's very easy to sort of get the whole sport, you know, covered in a, in a, in a bad light. Whereas I think the the opposite is true. If there's a success, I think it can uh, it can breed more success and more interest. So I'm with you. I do think it is it is a positive, and uh, and yeah, again, hopefully more people will 
realize when there's a street race in their town, they'll go check it out now just because before it was just an inconvenience from traffic and noise. Now they, now they might realize there's a fun event going on. Final thought. I wanted to give you a moment just to offer a couple of thoughts on Norris McDonald, legendary uh, Canadian motorsports journalist, hall of famer, like you are going to be coming up uh, in the spring. Congratulations. Or in the late winter, I guess you'd say, um, I would imagine every Canadian motorsports driver feels like they owe some thanks to Norris. Yeah, absolutely. Um, super sad to hear that news today. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, he was, he was larger than life. He was such a staple in the Canadian motorsports community. And, and like you say, I don't think there's a, there's a driver out of Canada that's, that's made a buck in this sport for the last 50 years that hasn't you know, dealt with and, and been helped by Norris in some capacity. I remember the very first article about me that was written in one of the big national newspapers in Canada was a Norris McDonald article. And it was, a, I was racing the Bridgestone Racing Academy up at, up at what was most sport at the time, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park now. And it, there was no, there was no way that that was a, an accomplishment enough to end up in the Toronto Star, one of the biggest newspapers. But he just always had his pulse on the grassroots, on you know the entry level, on on everything happening with an engine and four wheels in uh, in Canada, and was just he was our biggest champion. He was also our harshest critic in a lot of ways. You know, he held everybody accountable because he wanted you know the country and. And everybody representing Canada on the motorsports stage to be held to a very high level and a high standard. And um, sometimes you wanted to write them and say, hey, man, was that comment necessary? You know, but when you think back, you're like, he wasn't wrong. You know, he, he just he's just so passionate about it. Yep. And uh, and so, yeah, it's it's super sad, um, super sad to not have him, you know, trackside and, and following the sport and, and promoting it. So hopefully we. Uh, we have someone that kind of takes up that mantle and, and keeps pushing as hard as Norris did for all of us. Well said. All right. Good to chat with you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your stay in Portugal. Hopefully you have a couple of days on the couch at home in the near future. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> One of these days, Kev. One of these days. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Take yeah, care. Thank you. James Hinchcliffe, kind enough to join us. We'll see what we missed and more coming up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Final segment, uh, what we missed. You know, one thing we didn't really get into, uh, touched on last week, and Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal, I think mentioned last week, and I've heard a couple of other places, we may get news on this week. That may just be a theory because NASCAR has their banquet on Thursday. Maybe they announce it in coordination with that. But we might get the NASCAR media deal. The reports have said that the NBC and the Fox portions, Fox at the beginning, NBC at the end, have been done for a long time. But what's in the middle? Sports Business Journal today again reported that there is uh, a streaming package of 10 races that is being shot, potentially split within two companies, and you're just going to need to read the comments (laughs) on NASCAR Twitter when this is out there, and NASCAR fans find out they need to have... Basically, five outlets to watch Cup and Xfinity 
in 2025. That's going to be fascinating, and we'll see how that all plays out, and it will be a great test for meteorites for other sports in the future. We're out of time. Uh, next week, we're either Monday or Tuesday, I believe, based on when the Pacers play. We think it's Tuesday, so we know the Pacers play on Monday. Last I heard, that was still a bit TBD. So check your local listings as to whether we're on Monday or Tuesday next week. Thanks for joining us. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.